Well, hey, welcome to Dig a Little Deeper. We are ready to jump into it today. We are going some exciting places. Yeah, just jumping straight back into uh, our reading of John Walton's book and just some notes that we've made on that. And uh, hopefully it's helpful. It's all about interpreting and and, um, approaching the Bible in a way that you're going to get the most out of it and maybe actually hear what it's trying to say. So good. I believe it's going to be really helpful. So get ready, get strapped in. But first, shout out. Thanks for uh, thanks for giving us love. We love the love. We, we love, love the, the questions. Love. We love the love. We love the love. <laughs> Let the love continue and and questions. Uh, it's all part of a conversation that we're trying to have here around. Um, I guess what would you say around around all things. <laughs> around all say, things. Around all things. <laughs> At the moment, it's about <laughs> how we approach the Bible. But it's, it's been <laughs> it's, pretty diverse. I think you know when I think about where we started with the podcast and why we we felt to do it is. Um, we were a lot of, of it was re-imaging God was the way that we imagine God or the way the we imagine Scripture to work or the way we imagine certain elements uh, like how the cross works how our redemption works. We've been all kinds of places, but it has been about just digging a bit deeper and just trying to um, maybe get some healthy frames of reference, some healthy principles built into our lives about the way we approach Scripture so that we're not sort of just approaching it with our own um, preferences, with our own pop culture filters, just being aware, trying to, I think, just be more aware of the need to uh, try and get in a bit of a neutral headspace and let the let the the Bible speak for itself rather than us being tempted to make the Bible say what we think it should be saying. Yeah, and I think today we're going to dig into some stuff that's going to really help with that. So talking about a t- interpretation, I mean, should we start with like what is Bible interpretation? What do you mean by that and why well, does it matter? Well, you know, there is a, a difference between interpretation and application, I think, and Walton makes this point. Uh, throughout his book, but his book is focused on interpretation, really. Maybe we could put it this way, trying to accurately get a hold of what the Bible is saying as opposed to necessarily what the Bible means by what it's saying because what it means is sort of subjective. That's when it comes to us. Mm. So uh, it's one thing to know this is what the author clearly intended to say. It's another thing for each of us to then go, what does that mean for my life? Right. What am I going to do about what it? What am I going to do about it? That that can become more subjective, whereas uh, the, the most important thing probably is, is to start with good interpretation um, and, and then the application does become very personal. But if you start with personal application in the place of authority, that's when we run off on our own tangents in all kinds of ways. Mm. And he, he puts really great language around, you know, around that, how we run off on tangents. So first what must happen is we must try and work out what is the Bible saying and then we can work out what does that mean. And I, I think a great example of that is probably our soap journaling practice. Mm. You know, so for those of you who are familiar with with soap journaling the uh the concept is scripture observation application and then prayer mm. so first of all you, you what does the bible say then your observation is what was it saying to the original audience and readers what was the original writer intending by saying what he said the application becomes what does that mean for me and how am i going to apply it 
and then praying about it. So we use that very simple system. It's a very simple tool to try and get the most out of Scripture. And we use it in our life groups. We use it in all of our leadership groups. I mean, journaling here for us is it's just second nature. It's just like breathing, I think. Uh, well, I hope it is. I hope it is for everyone, <laughs> anyone who's here at New Hope. Um, if you've never done it, you need to do it. That's just what we do. Yeah. And uh, forms the basis of our discussions in life group and, and I guess forming some sort of community hermeneutic as we walk with Jesus. So, um, uh, yeah, that's that's where he's talking about. It's it's really that, that initial observation. What is it saying? Mm. Getting that right, then your application is probably going to be in line with, yeah. or it's going to be closer aligned to what the authority of Scripture is really, really saying, mm. rather than our own impressions or our own goosebumps or however else we can uh, we can read the Bible. And um, it's important for us to recognise that, like what we're reading when it comes to interpreting the Bible, like that's already been. Interpreted, interpreted, yeah. In a sense, it's it's like, it's a funny thing. It's it's probably maybe where the short sightedness of saying I just read the Bible as it's written comes in. It's like yeah, that that's good. Read the Bible as it's written, but just understand it's already been interpreted. Mm-hmm. It had to be to come from an ancient language uh, into our modern language, whatever language you're reading or listening in. A certain amount of interpretation has had to happen. Mm. An interpreter, for example, has had to sit down and when he looks at a particular word in a passage in, in either the ancient Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic and they might look at, at that and go, this is, this is the word meaning. It could mean this, it could mean that, or it could mean the other thing. Mm. Three different things. So the, our Bible words, those ancient languages, we've talked about this in the past, they're so rich they unpack, they can unpack so much. But at some point, the interpreter, the person who's actually translating the scripture, has to choose. Mm. Is, am I going to say it means this, this or that? And obviously, they try and follow the uh, the author's theme and the way the author's speaking and what they perceive as the author's big picture message, where they're headed. So the trajectory of the book Um the circumstances, the way the bio, that word might be used in other places that are similar in Scripture. They use all these things, but at the end of the day, they have to make a decision. Yeah. well, I was So t- that's just one, sorry, that's just one example of how when you go to read your English Bible, it's already been interpreted. Mm, and I was just going to say, it'd, be, it'd also be kind of naive to think, oh, well, if I could read ancient Greek or Hebrew that I would understand because it's interpreting goes a lot beyond just what are the words saying or what's the right word to use. Yeah. There's actually so much context way behind beyond, it. Yeah, way beyond dictionary meanings. Um, I know when we used to have like you know translators for us in Taiwan when we were speaking in English, it was like we want you to get the heart of what we're saying, not necessarily word the words, word. right? Because sometimes yeah. that's not the same thing. Exactly sometimes right. There's so much more context in what than what the words can convey. And sometimes using different words actually portrays a more accurate... Exactly right. And obviously studying Greek or Hebrew, those ancient languages, that will always empower and move you towards being able to be, you know, more discerning of the scriptures and their intent. 
but ultimately, unless you were living in that culture, so it's it's not just about dictionary meaning or even word usage, which is you know the whole next level. But then there's these cultural filters that if you weren't actually living in those times, so for example, um, where things aren't said, they're they're just information's not given. The authors don't give you every detail. But often meaning is assumed. It's like, well, I'm speaking to people in my culture. They'll get what I mean. Mm-hmm. And we do that every day in our everyday conversations. Mm. You know, when I, if you say to someone, you know, it's as hot as hell outside. Yeah, yeah. In their imagination, they're not expecting to walk out the door and find the world on fire. Yeah. You know, like that's or, not... The- <laughs> yeah. Or in an Australian context, if we thought oh, it was really up the creek, it doesn't mean we were literally yeah, yeah, up yeah. a creek. Yeah, you know? it's like, yeah. oh, you, uh, which creek were you up? Yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. no, no, you're being a bit literal. People in my culture would understand what I'm saying mm-hmm. and I wouldn't need to explain that. And so we have those kind of, you know, they're, they're something that he'll talk about as we go through today, but there's some of the gaps. There's gaps mm. that we have to bridge or some gaps that we probably shouldn't attempt to, to bridge. We should just leave them the way they are. Mm. Um, but, you know, basically we, we have to understand we're already reading interpretations, um, but that doesn't mean that we can't, you know, approach scripture ourselves, and, you know, particularly when we zero in on particular passages, really try and discern what is the Bible trying to say here. Hmm. And, uh, and there's principles that we can use. And that's what this book is about, helping us, you know, maybe read scripture more faithfully. Yeah. Very good. Well, where would you say we need to kind of start with that? Well, I guess, um, you know, he, he's given a great example here around the Ten Commandments of how... Uh, uh, Maybe what our translation or our interpretation might. Yeah, and, and I, I look at this, I pick this example because I think even in lots of our modern English Bibles, we have headings over passages. Mm. And, and you know, that's awesome. That's wonderful. It can be a great reference point. Sometimes it's it's very simple. It's very true to form. It, it's, it might be, you know, um, Paul argues with the Sanhedrin or whatever, and it's yeah. like, Oh, okay, that's exactly that's what's, what's happening, happening in this story. Yeah. Other ones, like the one he's picked, I've always found, it, it can be a bit problematic. So the Ten Commandments, you'll be reading along and it'll say the Ten Commandments. You know, this is where Moses is going to give them or Moses gives the Ten Commandments or whatever. The problem being is that they're not called the Ten Commandments in Scripture. Right. So even though that's only a Bible heading, what it becomes then is a filter for our mind. Yeah. That these are commandments. And straight away I think my understanding is that those commandments are kind of loosely based around a Jewish marriage contract, a ketubah. And so straight away a commandment has a different sense about it mm. than maybe a marriage commitment would. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? To but me. The Ten Commitments <laughs> is, does feel a little different to the Ten Commandments. I yeah. mean, you know, it's, there's a little bit of, um, what's the word? Um, I, I don't know, uh, grace. I don't know whether it's grace or relate, you know, it's more relational. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, which it's meant to I be. I mean, similar words and a little bit of wordplay, I guess, yeah. there. But it, it is a really different feel. And it's interesting that, yeah, I mean, you would ask any Christian you know, the 10 what, and everyone would fill that blank with commandments. Yes. It's interesting that that's not, that's not the word that's, that's not used. not necessarily the inference. It is, it is really these 10 agreements to walking with God in relationship mm. in the same way that a married couple, and gee, I reckon marriages today would probably really benefit from going through this process. But 
where the families would come together and discuss this is what this marriage should look like. And the husband's family would say, we believe that a good wife would behave like this, act like this, contribute this to the marriage. And the wife's parents are able to say, you know, or, you know, uh, relatives who are relative to that discussion are able to say, and we think that a good husband would behave this way and act this way and contribute Mm. this to the marriage. And so they were able to work out this is how these two families will join and these two lives will interact. Mm. That's kind of what we have in what we would call the Ten Commandments. But the moment we call it commandments, Mm. it's so easy to see how people have gone. These are the rules that God has laid down Mm. for humankind. And it's like, uh, yes, they're all life-giving principles, but... It's got a different inference. It loses the relational aspect, I believe. That's that's just one of the the things that I see straight away. Yeah, yeah. When we are, uh, you know, you look at what other people have faithfully done and and with a good heart, you just got to be careful. What is Scripture actually trying mm. to say here? Um, rather than bringing that preformed opinion to it. And I guess um, all and like, you know, I, I know. Um I've heard it said like the best, best. What's the best translation to read? And it's like the one that you read. Like the one that you're reading is the best one. At least read something. So yeah. And this is not to dispel and say anything that's done has been oh, no. bad. But no, I no. think what we need to continue to do is keep refining and refining yeah, as yeah. we learn more. Yeah. It's actually, um, it's not. It's not good to to know more and then not apply it. It's like yeah. no, we've got to keep re reapplying what we're learning. Yeah, yeah. And the more we understand, the more we should apply that to what we're reading. Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, and so what we have there really is more more probably true to to how Scripture defines these words. It's the ten words, mm. the Decalogue, the ten words. Um, and then you have to go, well, does that mean they're not commandments? So, you know, they're, they're words, they're spoken words. They are like commitments or a proposal in a sense. Um, so then we've got to work out how do we respond to them. That's what that's the meaning part. Right. So it's like, what is it saying? It's well, here's God inviting you into relationship, saying this is how you will walk in this relationship with yeah. me. Now, what does that mean to you? Is the application? How mm. will you respond to that? Mm. Um, and obviously, if you want to walk in a life giving relationship, well, you will affirm them. Yeah. But again, it still has a different feel about it. Commandment, this is what God, you know, is laying down the law. Mm. Literally, it's probably where we get the phrase, laying down the law, as opposed to an invitation into a relationship and a walk in communion with with God. Mm, yeah. You know. And then if you start breaking down and looking at the words, it becomes interesting too, because, you know, scripture says there, for example, the you know, the first commandment. You'll have no gods before me. Okay, so straight away, what does that mean? You'll have no gods before me. Is it saying uh, you'll have no one more important than me? You know, is it a chronological thing? No one existed before I did? Right. You know, what is being said? Um, Is it a location thing? There'll be no other gods like in my presence or standing in front of me in the line or what, whatever it must be. You know, and the fact is our modern interpretations really centre around uh, probably the first, you know, that there's no one more important. But actually with, with a bit of Hebrew thinking and insight, it tends to favour the last. Right. You know, because you've got to understand at the time that this was given, people believed 
in other gods, mm. not necessarily had faith in them or followed them, but they definitely believed they had power. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So, you know, God is saying, I'm the preeminent one. Mm. And well, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess too, like it's like no other gods before me. If you're talking about presence, it's like, well, those gods can't exist. Yeah. No other gods before me, if it's a priority thing, it's like, well, that God's number one, but my other gods are like two, three, four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it does change the meaning, doesn't it? It, it yeah. does. And if you think about it, I mean, it's funny. We can look at ancient people as, as struggling with these issues of multi-gods, you know, polytheistic thinking and whatever, but I think that still exists very, very strongly even as Christian people, that it is quite easy to just tack Jesus onto the end of mm. other things that we actually consider more important. Right, And I think that can be reflected in everything from um, uh, commitment to a local body of believers to being on mission to what we do with our finances, how we spend our time. You know, those things tell us a lot about the gods we worship. Mm, yeah. You know, our hobbies, whatever. They all come into it. It's mm. like who actually has the preeminence here? Mm. So say I believe in Jesus but is is he the preeminent one in this big lineup of things I could be fascinated with? Right. Is he the preeminent one? Yeah. And um, uh, and so I guess now we're on to application, but that comes from, from a faithful interpretation. interpretation. Yeah, yeah. So if the faithful interpretation is right, he he is the preeminent one. He's the first in line. Mm. Then, then the application becomes, you know, God has given so many wonderful things into my life to enjoy, mm. but I have to make sure none of them are ever standing in line before him mm. Yeah, kind of thing. And and I think, you know, most of us have probably come to that conclusion, but that's just a bit of an example. Um, taking the Lord's name in vain, you know, that it's probably a plain one to see. Uh, what does that mean? We've done a whole podcast on it, but taking the Lord's name in vain in common modern interpretation and I think a result of our pop culture, you know, we've got the OMG phrase. Mm. Oh, my God. You know, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh, that's taking the Lord's name in vain, whereas the Hebrew concept, the original concept far more would have been about trying to use God like a lucky talisman. Right. You know, and not actually being true and faithful to his heart, intent, mission and purpose, but actually using God for our own gain. And we've got an example of that where the Israelites took the ark into battle to, you know, if we put the ark in front of us, we'll win the the war and they lost the ark in battle instead. Mm. And th that was probably a bit of an example, a very physical story example of of getting that wrong, of mm. taking the name in vain, of not actually understanding what the name meant or being in step with purpose. That's just, We've talked about this with praying in the name of Jesus. I think we can do the same things as modern Christian people where we think if we tack the name of Jesus onto something, it somehow sanctifies it. Yeah. But that could just sanctify our greed. It doesn't, but we can in our imagination think that it sanctifies mm. our greed. Whereas to move in the name of Jesus is far more to be in step with his purpose and his design for us and his intent, his mission. That's how we do stuff yeah. in the name of Jesus. And our prayers should reflect his purpose, plan and, and will. I think that's making it quite clear why a, a, an accurate interpretation or at least an intentional interpretation is yeah. important because yeah. you can then see how the application flows from that. So, that's okay, right. I won't say... 
I won't say, oh, my God, but it's like, well, most of us are probably, I don't know, potentially in the habit of not doing that anyway. Yeah, yeah. And the application becomes, okay, what am I praying for that's just to to push forward my own agenda? Yeah. It's like, wow, that's seems a lot more impactful yes, than, oh, I won't yeah. say that word. I won't say that <laughs> yeah, word. You know, that's yeah. so shallow. I mean, um, I don't like people using that word, and I don't, you know, I don't try and use God's name like that either. I want to value it. Um, it's not common. It's holy, you know. So it's other. It's for other usage, not for common, you know. So it drives me nuts. Drives me nuts when Christians do it. But would I say, you know, you're breaking that commandment, blah blah blah, if you believe it to be a commandment? Not necessarily. So I think mm. it runs a lot deeper than that. Um, so yeah, that's. Uh, I, I think you, you're right. You've highlighted that. Maybe we could put it this way: that a sloppy interpretation a loose interpretation that has lots of our own imagination in it, what we think it should mean for us, results in a really ultra sloppy application. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, the application does tend towards subjectivity. What it means to me does tend towards subjectivity. So the importance of get trying to be um, uh, as clear on getting first what the Bible's trying to say Getting that as faithful as we as we can means that our application will be as tight as it can possibly mm. be and as accurate and as true to the authority of Scripture because there's no authority in our, in our subjective meaning, mm. you know, other than the sense that we bind ourselves to it. And I think it just reminds me, I was talking to someone the other day about, we were talking about um, the importance of like in those shopping centre maps, the you are here's. <laughs> like you can't, there's no point you telling me how to get somewhere if I don't know where I am. And I guess that's what interpretation is. It's figuring out, all right, where's, what's it actually trying to say? Where's the you are here? So then we can figure out where to go as in where to apply it. Otherwise it's like, if we're just starting from all over the place. We're potentially never going to go maybe where God wants us to take it and apply it. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Very good. I think that, yeah, that's a, that's a great, you know. Uh, Analogy. Yeah. Image. My imagination was going, it's like, that is so right. If you get that you are here right, mm. and and again, I think we've got to be careful even with the interpretive method. We're trying to be faithful, not right. Yeah. You know, because um, uh, we've covered that, I think, in the, in the previous weeks, but um, it's just maybe a, a better position of humility mm. to be aiming at faithfulness rather than that dogmatism, I'm, I'm right about this. Yeah. To um, circle back, I guess before you mentioned something about not filling in gaps that weren't there, mm. um, what, what, what can you talk to that a little bit more? Yeah, well, I mean, interpretation, one thought of, uh, concerning it, one principle is there are gaps, you know, and and we have to fill certain gaps, but there's maybe other gaps that we we really shouldn't even try, you know. Mm. So, you know, for example, a gap that we want to really fill, if we at all can, is, you know, culture gaps. Because we're, you know, recognise we're cultural outsiders mm. when it comes to the languages of the scripture and the times they were written in. Not just the language and the times, the political landscape, the the way battles were fought, whatever, the way people thought, all of that stuff. Um, and so we've got those gaps that we were talking about a little bit earlier. Um, but if we want to interpret, then we need to be aware of those gaps, do our best to fill them in. Mm. You know, what did this mean 
in um, you know the, the two millennia before Christ? What did this mean to those ancient people? Mm. Um, and I think you know that's what's helped me with stuff like an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Yeah, it's like you can look at that as being the most bare barbaric and hideous way to administer justice you've ever heard or if you can put yourself back in the mindset of ancient peoples when it was kind of push me shove you if your son poked my son's eye out with a stick even accidentally um you i could expect you to come over the hill and burn my house and my family alive that's Mm. that was what would happen so when you see an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth in that context, it's actually saying what we would agree with in modern terms. It's saying that the punishment must fit the crime, mm. that punishment must be in proportion to the crime yeah. and not exceed it. So in times that were extremely violent where there was no limit, then that was good news indeed. Yeah, yeah. Was it the end of the story or the, the final word on justice? No, not at all. But was it a step in the right direction? Absolutely. So I think, you know, those gaps we we want to fill. It, it seems like there's there's gaps that we're quite easily able to fill, leaning on like things like historic context and stuff. Yeah, oh, yeah. And then I guess there's gaps that maybe it would be an assumption to fill the gap. And I know when we were it. talking before, you were yeah. talking about um, was it who were we talking about? The problem the problematic stuff is. When we try and fill gaps that the author has not shed any light on. Yeah. Like, you know, um, each of the authors we have to understand, they're focused on communicating a message. Mm. You know, they've, they are inspired by the Holy Spirit. They believe this is what the people need to see. Or even later people who are collating fragments of scripture, oral tradition, bringing those things together. There is an author that's inspired that goes, this is what the people need to know. Mm. Um, and, of course, some of the gaps, as we just said, are things that just come from their culture, but other gaps are, are possibly even intentional mm. uh, or the author has not seen it as, you know, particularly important to carry the story forward. And so we might be curious about that stuff, but we 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 shouldn't fill in blanks <laughs> Yeah. And make assumptions because that's what we, we become an assumption. So, you know, he gives, Walton gives a great example of um, uh, the conversation that Abraham might have had with Sarah when he went to take Isaac up the mountain with the full intent to sacrifice their son. Mm. Like, what did that conversation go like? Yeah. But actually to even assume that in those ancient times a husband would feel the need to tell his wife that yeah. is a massive assumption straight away, Yeah. Um, let alone trying to fill in the blanks of what the conversation would be. So you might be curious about that, like, my goodness, what would I have told you know, from modern yeah, mind? Yeah, why wouldn't Sarah have said anything? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The modern mind would go, I would never try and get away with that, you know, mm. like I would have to tell my wife something that big. But, but actually it's just not in the story, so... It becomes quite irrelevant to our to what the Bible is saying to us mm. about that circumstance, um, and then there's there's other gaps that are could be expressed really as like um, literary art in a sense. This is I, I guess comes back to that cultural thing where they will leave gaps because they're expecting people to come to the conclusion, and we've looked at the Book of Jonah in the past and. 
and the way that it ends so weird, I think is possibly an example of this where it's like there's indicators of what that story is, even by the way that it ends without any real conclusion and with a weird story about a worm eating a plant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so it's like maybe that's intentional. Maybe that's actually a a big indicator about the genre of literature it is or or the kind of story that it is. Mm. Um, So... We just have to be careful about filling those gaps in with argument. I love that his wording. He says, um, engaging arguments from silence in the scripture, which I've heard a number of theologians talk about, where it's like, you know, it can seem to make sense to us. It can even seem like we can leap the gap and make everything else line up. But when we're arguing from silence, we're, there's not a lot of authority in that. Right. There's, yeah. there, there's got to be more authority in what is what has been written mm. and intentionally recorded by people who are moved by the Holy Spirit to do so. Um, and ultimately, it comes down to whatever we do, whether we're filling gaps or not filling gaps. What we really want to do is just track with the intention of the author. Yeah. Like what's story? What's the big picture? Maybe what's this whole thing aiming at? What's the trajectory of his writings? And try and stay true to what is his, you know, most obvious to us intent in it, um, which just means that some gaps, yeah, we need to fill them, and some gaps we need to leave them be and mm. wave them goodbye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I experienced this even just preparing for a message that I'm writing, and it was like looking at. Um, the Jewish people were, um, they were looking at what the disciples were doing and they got jealous. Mm. And I was trying to figure out, well, why, why were they jealous? You know, cause it kind of doesn't clearly, it says they seek, mm. you know, the crowds of people and they got jealous. Mm. But I, I found myself being like, I need to be careful. I'm not making it say something it's not saying Same, here yeah. and mm. kind of researching is like, okay, there's a bunch of different ideas about what could have fed into that. Mm-hmm. And that's okay to have maybe this is why, but I've got to be careful that I'm not saying this is why. Yeah, yeah, I feel like there's yeah. a difference and a, maybe a humility that comes in the approach there where... Exactly right. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, like, golly, uh, I think I've softened the way I preach dramatically since I've been on this journey, but I don't think it's taken any authority out of what is preached. You know, I think a couple of times in recent months I've actually said I'm not sure what this passage really means Mm. i don't understand it it doesn't really line up with my image of god in christ you know but i'll do my best to shed light where i think there's clear light Mm. and the other stuff i'm actually okay about not needing to have a dogmatic fourth point that explains what is not clearly explained you know that's good Um, and i'm sure we all step over into those we we do bend those barriers and again i I think this is just about handling the word of life with humility as you say Mm. do you you think in doing all this i mean there could be an argument to say that this is complicating everything yeah yeah even what we're talking about today it's like there's an element of complication are we are we over yeah I, I, look i think everything i think it is complicated let's be honest i think it is complicated but it's not undoable and i think that the the benefit of understanding that there's more going in that's on in the story generally than what meets the eye i think that's what we need to have mm. what it should do is usher in a humility a willingness a willingness to hold truth lightly you know tenderly and like a precious object, 
but it is not a club that we wield. It, it is more like, a, you know, a precious jewel that we protect. Mm. And, and I just think that in spite of the complication, uh, and he will get to this, uh, you know, a little bit later in the book, but in spite of the complication, it, the message of Scripture overarching is pretty clear. Mm, God's yeah. desire to have relationship with man, to walk with people, that he loves people, that he's paid an incredible price so that we could go free. All of those elements, you know, can be read again and again and again and echo right through Scripture. Mm, So those big picture things aren't difficult to grasp. Mm. They're not complicated or complex. It's most of the stuff around them. Right. And that's probably where most of the arguments, most of the division, most of the whatever, that's that's where it lives in the things that are less than important. I love a statement, if I can remember it, drag it out of the memory banks, and I think it's a Church of Christ in Australia here. There are one of their sayings, and it is, in the essentials we have unity, in the non-essentials we have love, or something like that. Right, yeah. And it's like, Wow. Wow, you know, do you believe Jesus Christ came in the flesh? Yes, that's that's an early Apostles' Creed clearly found in Scripture. Yeah. You know, do you believe that he died for the sins of the world? Yes, that's a clear apostolic creed in the Scripture. Do you believe he was raised the third day? Yes, yeah. I do. Do you believe he's coming again? Yes, I do. I mm. believe I affirm the creeds of the early church. Mm. Um, but there's a lot of other stuff outside that. Do you that, believe this, the Sabbath is a Sunday? Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like or or a Saturday. Yeah. Um, so there's the other stuff that you know we have to see what the Scripture is saying, and then we have to make the leap of application and what does it actually mean for us. So I think this with the complication, it's probably a bit of an argument for the com- community hermeneutic again that not all of us have all the answers. Not not any one of us, sorry, not any one of us has all the answers, that we need each other and that we need cross-pollination. We need to hear different concepts. We need to hear people coming from a bit of a different angle and be mature enough, you know, to not let it make it blindside us and feel like we've always believed the wrong things or whatever, but to add it as another arrow in our quiver Mm. and go, wow, I've never seen that facet of the diamond again. Um, I might not fully understand it yet, but I'm I'm more open to that than what I previously was. Mm. And, and, nurture truth within us rather than have this very westernized thinking of now that I've got the information, I'm right. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Which yeah. tends to be our mindset. It's like, and when it comes to things transcendent, as we've said in, in the past, uh, you know, we're talking God here. We're, we're not talking something you can fit in a manual or a box, mm. uh, although we've often appre- we've approached tried. the Bible that way. Yeah. Um, we have to have a bit of humility and grace in our walk. So, yeah, I think when it comes to complication, once again, interpretation's complicated, um, but it's got to be weighed against what's most important. And Walton put it so clearly, says the, the message of the Bible as a whole is clear. Any reader on any level can grasp the essentials of who God is and be drawn to follow him. Okay. Mm. I guess here we're talking about our study and what we're going to maybe become a bit dogmatic about. Mm. Um, 
that requires some some deeper insight but anyone on any level can get the purpose and heart of god through reading and through simple reading um the really the key message is god's intent and purposes his plan what he's done how we can participate with him um all of that stuff is very very clear to whoever opens the bible hi it's sammy thanks for listening if you enjoyed it then share it to your brother share it to your sister while you go and wait for next week's episode go and make some ice cream from scratch that sounds that sounds like a good idea right now thanks again catch you later